So read along with me, starting in chapter 4, verse 16, and we read this. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then, the Lord, then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he dwelt in the land of Nud, in the east of Chedden. And Cain knew his wife, and she bore forth Enoch. And he built a city, and called the name of the city, after his own son, Enoch. Nenach was born Erad, Erad was born Mahuyel. Ah, let's just do this for fun. I'm going to say the name, you try to say it with me while you're at it. Cain. Cain. That was good. Nice. Enoch. That's it. Spit on the person in front of you. You're doing it right. Erad. And to him was born Mahuyael. Well, that was nice. And to him, to Mahuyael, was born Matushel. We'll see that. And then from him was born Lamech. Nice. Now, Lamech took for himself two wives. One of the girls' names was Ada. <laughs> the second's name was Zila. Ada bore Jabal, or Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Yubal. So, he was the father of those who play the harp and flute. Now, as for Zila, that was the other wife, she also bore Tubalcane. Doesn't that just sound like something you put on your mouth if you have like a sore gums or something? And that's why I use Tubalcane. Uh, an instructor of every craftsman of bronze and iron. Now, a sister of Tubalcane was Nahamam. Nahamam, by the way, is where the same name as Naomi, which means pleasant. That kind of gives you an idea. Now, Lamech said to his two wives, for what it's worth, by the way, the first bigamy in Scripture. Uh, he says to Adan Zila, Hear my voice, wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I've killed a man for wounding me, and a young man for hurting me. If Cain be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Uh, on the other side, meanwhile, back in the camp, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore forth a son and named him. Now, you've got to be careful with this one. Shit. <laughs> with a T-H. Shit. Thank you. That one, that's, that's very important to get right. The Lord has anointed... Maybe that was what that little girl was doing earlier that wasn't part of our fellowship, that was walking around saying... Maybe she was just quoting Seth's name. Anyways, um, the Lord God has appointed for me another seed afterwards instead of Chabel, who came killed. By the way, his name will mean compensation, replacement, or substitution. As for Shif, to him was born a son, and his name was Enosh. And then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, the book of the genealogy from Adam. So, give me the good Adam. Adam. Don't lose any steam now. We've got some text to pick up here. And the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And he created male and female, blessed them and called them mankind. Interesting, for the word for mankind is Adam, for what it's worth. On the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and he begot a son in his own likeness, in his image. Same words as God used about making man and such. And he named him Chit. So say again, Chit. And you're like, I don't, I don't know. Can I say that in church? Um, and the days of Adam were 108, uh, 100, uh, 100 years, and he had sons and daughters. And all the days of Adam lived were 930 years, and he, then he died, which is, happens when you're done with your years. Uh, and Seth, on the other hand, we're just going to call him Seth at the moment, lived 105 years, and he begot Enosh. Enosh? And he begot Enosh. Seth lived 807 years, and he had sons and daughters. All the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years, and he begot Cainan. Oh, come on, you got better than that in there. Come on, Cainan. Beautiful. Now, he begot Cainan, and Enosh lived 815 years, and he had sons and daughters. Now, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Now, Cainan lived 70 years. And he begot Mahalalel. That's a fun name, Mahalalel. Like hallelujah, Mahalalel. It actually literally means the blessed God. Um, and so he begot Mahalalel, Kainan lived 840 years, and he had sons and daughters, and all the days of Kainan were 910 years, and then he died. Now Mahalalel lived 75 years, and he begot Yared. Oh, come on, give me more than that, Yared. Nice. And Yahred Mahadadal then lived. And then you're like, what am I, what are we reading here? 830 years. Don't worry. I'm, well, we're going to have some fun. He had some sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahadadal were 895 years and he died. Now Yahred lived 162 years and he begot Enoch. Enoch. And he begot Enoch. Yahred lived 800 years. He had sons and daughters. All the days of Yahred were 962 years and he died. Now, Enoch lived 65 years 
That's the youngest. He was, the, he was a spring baby when he had his little baby, 65, still eating at the senior menu. Uh, and, and he begot Methuselah. Methuselah. One of my favorite names. His name literally means his death brings. There you go. Um, who names their kid that? He lived 187 years. I'm sorry. Well, make sure we get all of that in there. Enoch walked with God 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Another days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God. And then he wasn't. But God took him. Boy, what a fun thought that is. As if God was like, oh, I'm, I'm tired of waiting for you, man. Just come with me now. What a cool thought to be that guy. Uh, and then, so, there's our first rapture, by the way, if you get it. Uh, do you really believe in that kind of thing? Well, he did it here. Now, Methuselah lived 187 years, and he begot Lamech. Uh, Lamech? Lamech? Now, you notice some of those names are the same. Have you noticed that? Now, Lamech, after he begot Lamech, Methuselah, lived 782 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. Oldest guy in all of Scripture. Really kind of fundamental. Why, too? Lamech lived 182 years. He had a son, and he named him Noach. 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 That means rest, comfort. Uh, saying that this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground in which the Lord had cursed. Now, after, which he begot, after he begot Noach, Lamech lived 595 years and he had sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 777 years. And then he died. And Noah lived 500 years and he had his three sons, Shem, Shem. Well, come on, this is the last verse. You, gotta, you can spend it now. Shem. Shem. Ham. Ham. Okay, not a real kosher name. Awesome. And Yafit. Beautiful. Pray with me. Lord, here we are looking at numbers and names of people that some of these people we're going to run into in heaven. And I just pray as a fellowship, we'd be the only people that go, oh, there you are. And they would go, how do you know me? And you'd say, I went to Calvary Chapel Shoreline in London. Lord, I just pray that you put it in scripture. I mean, you had all this stuff, all of these events and all of these names and people you could have focused on. All this information you put in this beautiful book and you chose this. And we don't want to just sort of skip through it as if somehow this was something to endure. When you put it in front of us, we want to get what you intended out of it. So Lord, I pray for that fresh filling of your Holy Spirit upon me to do what you intend to do with this text. Develop it. Minister to us in it. God, you know where we're at. You know every one of us. You know how to speak our language. So do so, please. In a way that we could hear you, that we could be ministered to you, and we could genuinely say, this was a landmark day where I encountered God. And then he spoke to me in a manner that I needed to hear. But God, let it be more than we walk out of here with a fresh resolve or a a little bit of encouragement or refreshment, though we want those things. Lord, change us. Make us more into your image. We've given you right because of the gift you've given us, Jesus, at the cross. We have given you the right to be the architect of our reconstruction, to reinvent us. And so, Lord, please now do so and use this time to continue to, to formulate us into something, into that which you intended us to be, this beautiful emblem of glory for the King of Kings. So, Lord, may we delight in your delight as we recognize that nothing is more important than your relationship with us. So make that clear to us now and redeem every second. May we just enjoy this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume because it's true that that it is. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the thing for which you test and hold all things to be true and false. Now, look at this context because there's, and again, we're trying, to, we're trying to approach Scripture without prejudice. And that's a really difficult... There's no book in the Bible I think we have more problems with than Genesis in regards to prejudice. Now, what I mean by that is we've got our children's books and we see Adam and Eve in the garden and then we've got all this information that we've gotten from all of these different sources. And what happens is sort of we read into this what we've kind of gotten from all of these different places versus what would it be like if we had none of that information? We just opened up the Bible and the Bible spoke and we said, I just believe this. What would it be like? I mean, we kind of get the idea just from looking at this, for instance, that Adam's going to live 930 years. 
And so if we kind of get the idea here that God made Adam, and he was our first man, that the world couldn't be, for instance, 100 million years old unless somehow every year was or a day was 1,000 years. And that really kind of clogs up the system here. I mean, you get the idea that the Lord really just makes things really simple. What made it complicated, if you'll pardon me for saying, are the experts. The people are like, well, I know that it possibly could say this. It looks like it could say this simple thing, but really because I'm astute and erudite and important and you're not, this is what it could say. And it's like, what if we just went, wow, God put a mark on Cain. That's a pretty wild thought. Now, this is where we, we left off last time. And first of all, let's just kind of clear up what it says. Because the first thing I recognize, and here's just a question for you, a little quick quiz, one question quiz. When God put a mark on Cain, was it on him and his descendants, or was it on him? Cain. Boom! Nice! First of all, it's just him. We don't read that it's on him and everyone else. That puts a few people that have already kind of said the mark of Cain is this race, or this color, or this shape. When Clearly, according to this, here's the idea. That Cain brought a sacrifice that was unacceptable. It was the work of his hands because it was the fruit of the ground, which God already said, that's going to be work to get. So he offers this fruit that, that's the work of his hands, which is unacceptable for God. And it's important to recognize that because the sacrifice is what's being evaluated, the person goes with it. And even today, God's looking and saying, what's your sacrifice? Because whatever your sacrifice is, is whether or not you're acceptable or not. And that's grace. God's not saying, you clean your act up. You make yourself something amazing and maybe I'll let you. And he's saying, well, what are you bringing? Because this is the cover charge for a relationship with me. And the beautiful part is God says, for whatever it's worth, there are a million things you can choose as your sacrifice. But reading the entire Bible, we get the fact that God offers clearly the proven, undeniably perfect sacrifice. And that's his own son, Jesus the Christ. And he's offered to you as a gift. That's the strangest part. He says, look it, for all the things you could try to earn and grab and gravitate to, he goes, this I want to give you, and you can stand before me with a perfect sacrifice. And that makes not only the sacrifice acceptable, it makes you acceptable before me as well. Now, Cain doesn't do that. Because the other option, by the way, is going to be to offer you the work of your hands. I'm a good person. I work hard. And look at what I've done for you. And God says, that doesn't work. He's already told us that there are going to be two families, two parentages. The parentage of that of the enemy himself and the parentage of, the, of Adam and Eve. And it, it's important to recognize that under the two, I should say, under the governance of the living God, there's no physical weirdness happening here. It's just whether or not which side you're choosing to submit yourself to. Now, Cain clearly isn't. And it tells us in the book of Hebrews 11 that when Abel offers, Chabel, which, by the way, for what it's worth, the name again, do you remember what his name means? Awesome. And his name means nothing. How's that? Hey, well, nothing. Please come forward. Well, there you go. Um, and remember, he offers a, a sacrifice that is acceptable, but it is a sacrifice of faith. That's what Hebrews tells us. Cain, on the other hand, it's a sacrifice of his works. And with that, then, God says, hey, look it. If you, if you get right, God says, you know what's right, Cain. And you have a choice here. You can get right or not. But sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now, Cain knows he really only has two choices, to get right or to get rid. And unfortunately, he chose to get rid. And that's what we're going to find today in any world. And when we try to start sharing Jesus with someone, they're going to have to deal with that information. And they're either going to choose to get right with the living God through the gift of Jesus, or they're going to try to get rid of that information. And they might have to do it through whatever means. And that may be trying to get rid of you in their life. That may be, and that's, of course, what happens in any society. It's how do we get rid of this message? And that's, of course, happening here and, of course, in America as well. Now, with all of that, ultimately, Cain chooses poorly. He chooses to get rid of his brother. In doing so, we learn, by the way, that blood has a testimony because it's the blood of Chabel that is the testimony to, the, to God. And God says, hey, as a result of that, you're done. You're not going to get the fruit of this. Your life is going to be a life of wandering and futility. And that's, by the way, what happens when you choose to surrender yourself under the enemy. Your life will be one of fruitlessness, futility, and wandering. And he winds up living, as we read here, in the land of Nod. Which, by the way, when he says, you will be a wanderer, the, the term is Nod. And then he says, you live, and he winds up living in a, in a land called Nud. He winds up living in Wanderville. That's the idea here. And by the way, you know this, because I bet you have friends like that. I mean, friends that, 
if you really think about it, have really chosen, I, you know, I kind of know the God thing, but I'm going to kind of do this instead. But their whole life is a life of just fruitless wandering. And they're like, man, you know, and you know it because they come to you like everything's almost an infomercial because they're selling, you know, oh, man, let me tell you the new thing that's going on in my life, this relationship or oh, this job or whatever. And you're like, oh, that's the best you got. You know, and then, then you know that sooner or later that's going to blow by and they're going to be down in the dumps again going, ah, I wish I had something. I'm like, well, you could stop all that wandering, Cain. But in that then, as he kills him, as he kills his brother and God says, now you're out of this. Cain says, and it's important to recognize, he says, look at my iniquity. Avon's the word or my punishment. The word avon, it literally means iniquity. It's the same word used in Isaiah 53 when it talks about how all of our iniquities were placed on Jesus. And or on this Messiah, of course, who will, be, who will be Jesus. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Avon's the word. And he says, my avon's too great. I can't take, I, I don't have the strength to carry this kind of punishment. Even though I know I've earned it. I really can't carry this. He says, if anyone finds me, they'll kill me. In other words, what he says is, I have rightly earned vengeance. Now, I'd like you to recognize the first person who, in scripture who could have told you about mercy. Perhaps Adam and Eve in regards to the covering but that have personally received some form of deep, punitive mercy has been Cain. He would be able to tell you, look at, I should have been, bam, God should have been the one to do it. He's like, that's my boy, you killed my boy. But in all of that, God says, look, and instead, I'm going to make a public declaration. And that's kind of the way it looks, is like the God, the God speaks in a way, it's sort of like the intercom of earth. And he's like, look at, anybody that kills Cain, you know, will be avenged sevenfold. You know, over, this is God, over, you know. You know, it's like, and everyone's like, all right, kind of got the point. And he's like, and oh, in case you don't know who Cain is, I'm going to, there's a mark on him. Now the mark, now if you think about it, if Cain, I mean, if I could look at that, what I have is a mark of mercy. Isn't that what it is? I mean, this isn't God saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a really ugly birthmark, or I'm going to give you a second nose, or something so people could look at ha, 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 scarlet letter. This is something to save you. This is a mark of mercy. And unless God give you that mark of mercy, vengeance is yours. Vengeance is upon you. I mean, because God put this mark on Cain, then Cain escaped the vengeance of murder. And, I, and that's one of the most important reasons why... We can't think that this was just Cain got a mark and every kid he had had the strange little birthmark that he did. Or the same color or whatever as other people have said. Truth be told, if you think about it, what God did is he said, look, unless I mark you, unless I cover you in something, you're going to be guilty of murder and and vengeance will be upon you. Do you kind of get the idea that God's hinting us up to something? That unless he mark you, you're guilty of murder vengeance is upon you and I think wow where's the next marking like that and I think Exodus 12 where people have to mark their house with blood nonetheless blood that spoke like Habel and that blood by the way it tells us that if that blood's upon your house marked upon your house that the vengeance of God's wrath and this angel will pass over your house if your house is marked and I think wow okay I kind of get the point out of this and I start thinking wow wait a minute then I get to the book of Revelation and go all the way to the other end and there are 144,000 people that get marked by God, sealed by God. They're marked. And that particular mark will be so that when God's vengeance is being poured forth on earth, they're going to be immune to those vengeances. I go, wow, what a mark. But there are other people on the other end who will receive a second mark, a different mark. They, you can't have both, which is clear. And of course, that mark will damn them, the mark of the beast. And in between them, I have the book of, of, of Ephesians, if I can say the word, And in that it tells us, having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's your guarantee of inheritance. And that seal's a mark. And I think, wow, what Cain received was a mark of mercy. What a fantastic thought. God's like, look, you should get vengeance, but I want to love you enough to give you mercy instead. So in verse 16, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord with this mark. And he dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Chedan. Chedan, by the way, I remind you, means pleasure. And Cain knew his wife. And people go, who was Cain's wife? You ever have people that try to tell you that? You're trying to share Jesus, and their first thing is, who is Cain's wife? Just for fun, just make up a name and see what they do. Her name's Milmo. Her name's, you know, just her name's ha, 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 ha. And they're like, no, you want to receive Jesus? I mean, can you imagine standing before God and going, look, I'm sorry, I really didn't receive the gift of your son because I really didn't know what Cain's wife means. God's like, if you really want to know, I can show her to you, but this is the last time you're going to see her. This would be a really good time to accept them. I mean, get matters straight. 
You know, if I'm like, hey, by the way, I'd like to give you a free house. I'd like to give you a car. I'd like to give you, set you up for the rest of your life. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I don't know who your great-grandfather's wife's name was. And you're like, would you care? You really think that that's, I mean, somehow it's amazing. So much things are sort of like Christian pepper spray. Like you start spraying, you know, you start sharing with them. And they're like, Psh, get away. Psh. And you're like, oh, I can't share with you anymore. I don't know Cain's wife's name. Her name is... Now, it's interesting because if we, what we have here is two different lineages. Have you noticed that? We have the lineage of Cain in chapter 4. And then we have the lineage, but God goes all the way back to his dad, to, set, to, to Adam, in chapter 5. Now, understand there's an awful lot going on on earth. And if you think of God as this great director, it's sort of like God's watching all this information and he's going, all right, camera there. Focus on this. Now, focus on this and keep following this, keep following this down. Now we've got, we've established this. Now let's get to this side. And God has this habit of showing this is what happens on the bad side of things. Now let's actually move on to the good. And, and, and on this, notice here, remember, we've got a guy who's not dwelling in the presence of the Lord. His name is Cain. For what it's worth, his name means mortality or containment. And with this, we kind of get this idea of these group of people. There are, now, notice here, we have six names. And the names, again, are Cain, Enoch, Erad, Mahuya El, Matusha El, and Lamech. And then, of course, we have his little, his little ditty at the end of this uh, particular chapter. Now, if you have, and just to kind of help give a little bit of clarity in your bulletin, <coughs> did you notice you got an insert? Yeah, thank you, Micah. And it's a lovely insert. I worked very hard on it. Um, there you go. There goes all my reward. So, um, but notice we have here then our first six names. That's the lineage of Cain. And then we have these ten names, which are the lineage of Seth. Are you following me on that? So at least you can write down what they mean. You can help follow with this. Because I, I think you're going to find something devastatingly beautiful. At least I do as I look at this. Now, Cain, again, his name means mortality. Containment. And we read that he has a son. And by the way, did you notice also that God doesn't give us times on this? We don't read how old Cain was when he had a baby and all that. God does spend a lot of time on that in chapter 5, but he doesn't spend any time on that in chapter 4, as if that weren't important information to us. It's good because at least God's like, look at you don't need to know that. That's not important. It's like, how old was Cain when he had a kid? Who cares? He had one. That's important. The son's name is Enoch. Enoch, by the way, means dedicated to this. That's what his name means. Enoch. To this day, you can see something and it's called dedicated. It's Enoch. Dedicated to this. Then they have a name that makes perfect sense to me if you've ever been a parent. The name Irad. And Irad means destruction. If you've ever had a kid, you kind of know. It's like, hey, by the way, we have an 11-month-old coming over. What's the first thing you do? You hide every breakable that's you know a meter or down, right? You know, Because they're like, hey, wow, what's this? Hey, what's this? You know, and so Irad, so that's the name. Now, Irad, by the way, has a son, and now this one actually amazes me. His name is Mohuyael. Now, say these names with me again, if you would. Mohuyael. His name literally means, who smites God? Who smites God? Who names a kid who smites God? Well, I'll tell you who does. Destruction, that's who names it. <laughs> now, Mohuyael has a son, and his son's name is Matushael. Matushael. Matushel literally means he presents himself as God. Now, what an amazing name that is. Now, what kind of person? Now, I've had people that I would say, well, I would nickname that guy. He thinks he's God or he, he thinks he's presenting himself as God. But this guy names his kid presenting himself as God. What an amazing name. And then we have the name Lamech. Lamech? And Lamech means the one who mourns. The one who mourns. Now, if I were to say to you, wow, here's a lineage. Wow, there's a lot of names. That's really exciting. We're Calvary, though. We read through every verse. We're verse by verse. We're not verse by verse when it's important. Every verse is important. You go, wow, that's great. Thanks, Pastor Tony. What a neat little trip through Nameville. You know? And what did you get? Now, if I were to say to you, wow, what do you do? Cain, Enoch, Erad, Mohuya, Matusha, Lamech. Wow, that meant a lot to you, didn't it? Well, if there's a country where we can actually go on to, to better understand this, I think it's this one. I mean, in America, we have Indian names. And Indian names are names where it's kind of interesting. It's like, you know, chief running nose and runs from bears and easily afraid and that kind of thing. And you kind of, and you kind of know you name people kind of after their personality a little bit, you know? It's like, well, why am I still single? Well, I don't really know. Chief hates girls, you know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> 
you know? But then you move into a place, you move, I mean, that's the only thing we really have in America. I mean, otherwise, it's like, what's your name? Betty. What does that mean? I don't know. It means uh, I put money on something at three to one. I don't know. You know? But it's like, you come, to this, you come to this beautiful country, and it's like, okay, this country is beautiful, and it's like, why don't we go someplace gorgeous like Spittlefield? I'm like, who named a place Spittlefield? The only thing I could think is a guy that wanted to be alone. You know? I live in a place that's called Nasty Wet Marsh mucus land or something, you know? And it's like, wow, well, there's... How many people live there? Just the guy who named it. Strange as that is. Now, I'm not trying to pick on you if you're from there, but it's... I'm really not. It just comes naturally. But I'd like you to consider the fact that there's certain places as you kind of step into it, you're kind of like, wow, you really want to go there? Mud shoot. Yeah, mud shoot. That's... i got to get a postcard from there. But I mean, I, I... But I mean, it's like... But I mean, we still know the names of those places. I mean, it's like... And those names are real human words, you and we look at those and go, okay, we kind of get what that means. I mean, an image comes to my head when I start looking at these places. There's a place called Little Snoring. I'm thinking, wow, that's a place to have a party. You know, and, I, and it's like, I, I want to go there. And it's like, I expect the place to be a place where it's like everyone's just kind of sedated, you know. Uh, in Michigan, for what it's worth, in Michigan, though, in America, there's a place called Hell. Who wants to live there? They had a big celebration. I know this is going to amaze you. On June 6th, the year 6, said 666, they had a big celebration in hell in Michigan. There you go. I mean, so when someone says, go to hell, they're telling you to go to Michigan. Anyways, uh, let's get back to this. These are Hebrew names. Hebrew names, and the people speak Hebrew. Like those are English names, and we speak English, so we kind of know what they mean. So, for me to say, probably doesn't mean anything to you. But what if I said, mortality, dedicated to this, destruction, who smites God, presenting himself as God, the one who mourns. Now, does that mean anything to you? Because that's what we read as we read the lineage. And what we got is, that's exactly what a man is like outside of the governance and presence of the living God. He's dedicated to destruction. That's what he's dedicated to. And he smites God, that's flicking your nose at God, because he presents himself as God, trying to be God's replacement, while God's the one who mourns in the place of it. Mortality dedicated to this. Destruction, who smites God, presenting himself as God who mourns. And I think, wow. Can you imagine a parent names his son this, and you're like, I have no idea that I'm about to create judgment by, the, by our own lineage. These names mean something. And I remind you, this is the language that people speak. Well, there's another thing in all of this. And all of a sudden, you're kind of like, hmm, you're already starting to think chapter 5, aren't you? Well, in chapter 4, notice there's another interesting thing in this. Because again, these are the people that are not under the governance of the living God. But yet, in all of that, all of these things are happening. Notice the first kid that's born to Cain, uh, at least that we have record of here, we have that he has a city. There's a city that's made, and he names him after it. And I started getting in the idea that he's really trying to make a name for his kid. If I, were to, if I were to title this message, it would be, What's in a Name? And I realize in this, it's like, and you know this is kind of the place. And there are people who do this all over the place when you're outside of the governance of the living God. Here's a, and I, I don't know whether these people are or not, but I do think it's interesting. For instance, the guy that discovered the bacteria that creates leprosy, his name is Hansen. Like, mbop. And that's its, that's its own thing. Um, so what does he name it after that? He names the disease Hansen's disease. Now, I don't know about you, but if I, discover, if I were a scientist and I discovered something that really made people really weak and, and wretched, I would think of the person I hated and name it after them. You know? You know? And then I, I really don't have anyone I hate, so I'm, I'm, I've run out of names. But you kind of get the idea. Satan's, you know, that, you know. What do you call this? Satan's disease. There you go. But... But I start to think about this, and I realize that people are always doing this. You know, how do I make a name for myself? If earth is all you got, you've got to do something. Why do I want to be rich and famous? Because maybe I can leave a mark on this place. Man, you know, maybe later on someone will download my song in the Where Are They Now file 40 years from now, and I'll still be famous to someone. You know, maybe I'll be around and someone will be like, oh, my grandma loved your song, you know, or something. And, but man, I've got a name for myself. Maybe if I do something well enough, I could get knighted and I could get a plaque on a wall. You know, maybe somewhere if I go to the right church, I can invest enough money and I could get my name on the back of a chair. 
wow, neat. But in all of that, it's like, what you got is, this is the world I live in. How do I make a mark in it? While God is marking a person with his mercy, people are trying to make their own mark. And it only takes one generation. Now when he looks and he goes, son, well, when people come here, they'll remember you. Because it's your name. And again, his name, Inach, means dedicated to this. And then I go, well, wait a minute, but look beyond this. You got this guy. As we move down the line, Lamech now, again, our first bigamy in scripture. And it's interesting because Lamech, by the way, if you think about it, is Cain's great, great, great grandson. So it took four generations, basically five generations down, for a guy to basically start picking more than one girl up here. Adah and Zillah, now he's got these two girls. One means ornament, and one means shade or shadow. And I tend to think, wow, you know, if you know those guys that are sort of players, he's always kind of got the ornament girl, you know? This, 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 makes me, this is my trophy girl. She makes me look good, you know? Well, then, welcome. You're the Adah of the group, right? And, and, but when I look at these, and there's the shadow. There's the girl that really dwells in the shadow of the other girl, and she actually... And what's interesting is, is that notice in this, though, this gal, Ornament, has a couple kids. And one of them, by the way, is actually the pioneer of agriculture. I mean, these are people who live in tents, and they raise sheep. And I mean, this guy is actually... I mean, this guy is just really kind of structuring agriculture. Congratulations. Look at how great a job you've done. And that is a cool thing. I'll grant you that. And then you've got this next guy. And this guy's, I mean, again, Yabal and Yubal. Easy to call him to dinner. And in this, the second guy, he's the guy who's the father of the arts. The flute and the harp. And this is the guy that's, this is Mr. Music. And I remind you, these are people who are not dwelling under the governance of the living God. And then you've got this third person, Tubal-Cain. And Tubal-Cain, by the way, for whatever... So you know his name, by the way, means offspring of Cain. And his, he's, in essence, the pioneer of science. I mean, he's showing people... He's a master of metallurgy. How do we work with bronzes and metals? And I mean, this is the guy bringing them into the Bronze Age. I mean, this is it. And you go and you look at all this and you're like, wow, look at all of these advancements outside of the presence of God. I mean, there is science and there is arts and there is agriculture. Let's look at chapter 5. What do we have? Nothing. We don't need anyone's the father of anything but a person. I mean, this guy's the father of science. Woo! This guy's the father of music, man. Just, mm, 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 mm. Yeah! What's over here? This is my boy. Hmm. That's it? Well, don't miss it. Again, God is being a director. It isn't like he's focusing on everything. He's focusing on what's important for us to know. And I start to realize, wait a minute. In my text here, this is the best they have to offer. The trophy. This is your trophy. This is what it looks like. Ladies and gentlemen, the father of the arts. Yabal. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Science Tubal Cain. This is your greatest achievement. Ladies and gentlemen, Enoch. Perhaps you know his city. God's like, but those are the people outside of my presence. It's the best they have to offer. Now, that doesn't mean those people here aren't doing great things on chapter 5. The guy goes, do you know what the trophy is on this side? This is my child. This is, this is, my, this is my kids. See, because somebody under the presence of God, what really becomes important to you is, is people. And I got to tell you, this strikes every string in my heart. I mean, I think of all the things that I could regret having accomplished on my deathbed. And yet in the end of it all, I look at my kids and I think, and that's it right there. That's what I want to see happen. Because everything else, I've got a 13-year-old daughter that walks down the street holding my hand. And she's like, people probably think this is kind of weird, Dad, but eh, it's okay. And I've got a 7-year-old, of course, who crawls in my lap and while everyone's praying, is singing Phineas and Ferb songs in my ear. And I mean, I, I've, got these, I've got these amazing children, and I realize before God, God's not going to be as concerned about your, your 401k, what business, how high you climbed on a corporate ladder, what you've amassed, and all that great stuff in the sight of the world. That's on the side of the people that aren't dwelling in his presence. 
I mean, it doesn't mean that those things can't be used. Hear me. Those, it isn't those things can't be used. It's just that they're not the end. They're the vehicle. And I know what it's like as a musician to get to this place where everything that I thought I wanted, I had. And I hated it more than anything. It was awful. I had more money than I could spend. I, and it isn't like any of that is something that I'm like bragging about. To be honest, it's at my shame. I, I got I had all of this and I'm like, this is terrible. And the one thing you realize is if this is the end of the line, this is a really lame end. And yet what's amazing is how many people think, oh man, I want to be like you. I wish that I could. And you're like, man, you don't. I was 19 and I was hating life more than I ever had. And I realize in all this, if this is the end of it, that's all they have on this side. By the way, when you're done sooner or later, your song ends up on some playlist. Maybe it turns into Muzak so you can hear it in a store and you can hum the, the, the melody somewhere. And they'll go, oh, who was that person again who sang that? Oh, I don't know. What's her name? And that's it. Meanwhile, these people are living nearly... <laughs> they're living nearly a millennium, and they're amazing people in here. Now, before we move even into chapter 5, now, what about you? Now, what's really in your value system? And again, I'm not telling you don't be good at science or don't be a good musician or whatever. I'm saying use it as a vehicle, but don't make it the end. And if that's all you got, that's all you got. Lord says, let me tell you what's really important. In God's currency, the most valuable thing is you. That's what's the most important thing. Nothing's more important to God than your relationship with him. Everything revolves around that. So you're like, God, give me, give me, direct me, guide me, lead me, whatever. And God goes, everything in my world is about bringing you closer to me. Every decision I make, every part of my will and my pleasure is about getting you closer to me. That's it. So you're like, God, which job do I take? Do I go out with this person? Do I? And God's like, look at. I want you to recognize again, everything is under my governance, under the, under the paradigm of how do I get you closer to me? And when we start thinking about God's will, the term, by the way, in the, in the Greek, the lecho, just simply means pleasure. It's based on the word pleasure. And if I just ask God, God, what would please you? And not what's your special secret plan? And if I don't have my spiritual decoder ring, I'm not going to figure it out. And bam, you're going to pop me because I didn't figure it out. I mean, what sick and twisted game is that? We wouldn't do that to our kids. But we think that we have God. It's like, but rather, God, what brings you pleasure? The thing is, the reason we don't ask it is there's kind of, that's kind of a big duh. We know what brings God pleasure. God's, I'm like, what brings you pleasure? And God's like, you. That's what brings me pleasure. Be with me. So we ask, God, what's the greatest commandment? Of all the things I need to obey, what's the thing I need to obey? And God says, I want your love. That's what I want. Can we make that the commandment? Because all the other stuff plays in just fine if that's what I have. All that other stuff, you'll find yourself doing it whether you knew it or not. Now, notice the last couple verses, by the way, starting in verse 25 of chapter 4. Cain knew his wife again. She bore a son, named him Seth. And again, his name means compensation. And it says, um, well, God appointed me another seed. He compensated for Chabel, whom Cain killed. And then Seth, by the way, has a son, and his name is Enosh. Would you say Enosh? His name means human, humanity. Okay. And it says then, notice here in verse 26, and then 26, it says, then people began to call on the name of the Lord. Now already we have a very radical difference. On one side, people are trying to make a name for themselves, they're the father of this, they're the father of that. They're having a city in their name. And on this side, the name is the name of the Lord, and we're going to call on him instead. And all of a sudden, you start to see that that line between the governance of the enemy and the governance of God becomes thicker and thicker and more pronounced and more pronounced. On this side, everything's about me, and how do I make you like me? How do I leave a lasting mark in my name? And on this side, it's your name. How do I pursue that, and how do I call on that name? And already, there is a big chasm between the two. Now in chapter 5, now notice what it says as we dig into this. It tells us, the book of the genealogy of Adam. He created him in his image. That's this Adam guy. And ultimately, Adam, we read, will have a son in his image. Interesting. And likeness. Interesting. We don't read, by the way, that Cain was made in his image. We read that he was his son. He bore. But here, it's like, now this one's like Adam. I like that. And notice God starts this lineage with Adam. He doesn't start it with Seth. Remember how he started the other lineage with Cain. So I have the name Adam. What does Adam mean? It means man. 
Matter of fact, again, remember how in verse 2 it says, and he called the mankind, the word is Adam. Then we have the name Seth. Seth means compensation. That part we knew. It tells us then the next one is Anash. Anash means human or mortal. Human. Canaan. Do you remember what Cain? It's the same as Cain. Remember what that name means? It means mortality. Thank you. It means mortality. Mahalael. Mahalael. Remember what that means? Hallelujah. Mahalael. The blessed God. Six, Yared. Yared means he descends. He comes down. Now, short-term memory test, Enoch. Can you even remember what Enoch meant? Excellent. Dedicated to this. Then I have the name Methuselah. Remember what his name means? His death brings. Does anyone remember what the name Lamech means? That was in the other lineage as well. The one who mourns. And then finally we have the name Noah. Noah, which means rest. So, ten names versus six I find it interesting for those who are kind of into the big number thing. Six, they talk about as a number of a man. Get that even from Revelation. And then we have this. Adim, shit. Again, Enosh, Kainen, Machalel, Yared, Enoch, Machuyel. I'm sorry, Machdushelach, sorry. Lamech, Noach. Say it again. Adam, shit. Enosh, Kainen, Machalel, Yared, Enoch, Machdushelach, Lamech, Noah. Try that with me. Okay? See if you can do it. Here we go. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kainen, Machalel, Yared, Enoch, Matushalach, Lamech, Noah. Man's compensation for his human mortality, the blessed God he descends. Dedicated to this, his death brings the one who mourns rest. Let me say that again. Man's compensation for his human mortality. The blessed God, he descends, dedicated to this. His death brings the one who mourns rest. And I go, wow, I just got the gospel in chapter 5 in the lineage I would have skipped through and went, oh yeah, let's get to the flood. Something happy. No. And I go, well, wait a minute here. So here's what I'm looking at. On one side, mortality dedicated to this. Destruction. Who smites God, presenting himself as God, the one who mourns. Okay, and on the other side, I have this man's compensation for his human mortality. is the blessed God he descends, dedicated to this. His death brings the one who mourns rest. And God says, which side do you want? Do you want to be dedicated to destruction? Oh, you can make a name for yourself. Hitler made a name for himself. He was really good at destruction. Oppenheimer made a name for himself. He was the one, by the way, put together the whole atomic bomb concept. Hey, boy, that's really neat. You can make a name for yourself in that. Congratulations. You could have a hit song, man, and people could love it, and then they could kill themselves to it. And you could say, wow, I'm famous. Dedicated to destruction. You're going to smite God because you're saying, look, I don't need you. I'll be my own God. Isn't that what it's saying? But isn't that what we're looking at around us? He's saying, hey, look, I don't, I, I, you need Jesus. Like, I don't need Jesus. I'm fine at running my own life. You're smiting God by presenting yourself as God. You realize that, right? And God, by the way, it doesn't say the one who's angry. The one who's fed up with your, you know, denying him. It says he mourns. God created you to be with him. It causes him to mourn when you're denying him. Someone that? That's intent. On one side, it's interesting. God's the one who mourns. And on the other side, it's interesting. It's the human that mourns that gets rest. Because they, because God's death brings that person rest. I think, wow, this is so beautiful. How God laid this out. So what's in a name? It's the gospels that is in the name. But then God did something else. He put a bunch of numbers in here. This guy lived this long and he had a kid. And he lived this long and he did had a kid. 
So let me just follow this. And if this is kind of like geeky to you, forgive me. But I don't know. I look at this and I'm like, cool, let's have some fun. Let's, okay, calculator time or whatever. Adam lives. And let's just say that Adam lived in his, let's just say he was born in year zero. You know, created in year zero. At year 130, Seth is born. That's what we have. He lived 130 years and Seth was born. You follow me that? So follow the timeline. Zero. At 130, Seth is born. At 235, his son, Enosh, is born. At 325, then, Cainan is born. At 395, Mahalael is born. Yadah is born in 460. Enoch is born in 622. Methuselah is born in 687. And he's going to live 969 years. Can you do the math? He'll die in the year 1656. Keep that in mind. Lamech, he'll be born in 874. Noach will be born in 1056. He'll live 500 years, have his three boys. At 1056, what's 500 years? 1556. 100 years from then, the flood will come. If, 15, if we have the year then, 1556 is when he has his boys, and he lives 100 years with those boys. And then the flood comes. What year does the flood come? 1656. Oh, huh. Methuselah was born in 687. Lives 969 years. And what does his name mean? His death brings. And he dies in 1656, which is the year of the flood. And I think, wow, how brilliant that God would do this. I mean, how'd you like to have the name? Hey, his, your death is going to bring it, man. And he's like, not looking. Well, I'm like, I don't know what it is, but it can't be good. I hope you, long life for you, pal. I pray for long life. And then I think, of all the people that would live the longest in Scripture, can you see the mercy that God would make this man saying that when this guy's done, when he dies, it's done. Punishment happens, and God says, so you're going to live the longest? Like, how merciful is God to do that? On this side, there's a God of great mercy. On the other side, by the way, you have this guy, Lamech. Remember him? He was the one who goes, Hey, girls, come around. I got a song for you. Yo, yo, don't be messing with me. Got a little mush me up. a little bumped into me. And I went, bam! Killed him. That's what I did. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to plug him. Fill it full of lead. Mm. Tell you what, man. Can't get revenge sevenfold. Man, seven, seven, four, man. Oh! You know what you know what Lamech did? Yeah, forgive me. I'm from Chicago. See what happens? <laughs> do, you, do, you know what, do you know what Lamech did on, on Cain's side? He completely abused God's mercy. That's what he did. It's like that whole... That, there's no mercy in the Cain thing that he sees. He's like, well, if that guy did that and got that mercy, I'll do worse than that and I'll just give bigger mercy. Ha, 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 ha. Isn't that what happens, by the way, people who aren't seeking God's presence? They're like, man, I could do whatever I want. And God's just going to cover it in grace. I'm thinking, do you really think that that's what God is to you? Some great mindless bellhop? And then I look at these numbers, and then we're going to bring this to close here, but this is a couple of things that I just find interesting for what it's worth. Adam, for what it's worth, saw his great, 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 great grandson. He actually saw, because how long he lived, he saw everybody up to Noah. I think that's kind of amazing. And this is what I did, just to kind of show you. Um, I just kind of, what I did is I just kind of drew 1,600 years, and then just took each person and kind of drew their, their, their lines on it. Uh, that's, that's what I do on planes, by the way, when I'm flying back at midnight. And then look at Seth, and I'm thinking, wow. To be honest, it's interesting, because he actually dies... A little less than 100, about 100 years before Noah. And then everyone after that, other than the guy that was raptured, actually gets to meet Noah. As a matter of fact, when Enosh dies, that's, for what's worth again, Adam's grandson. When he dies, Noah's 86 years old. It's kind of an interesting thought. How all these guys kind of play into it. And I think, wow. And then Noah's dad, Lamech, when he dies, he dies five years before the flood. Which means every one of these guys will have died before the flood, except for one, Methuselah. And he dies, of course, and when he, when he dies, it's brought. And I look at this and I think, wow. 
the absolute beautiful and glorious mercy of God on one side. That says, you know, you deserve vengeance, but I'm going to mark you anyways. I'm going to seal you so that you don't have to experience that vengeance. Then I'm going to make an announcement to everyone else. Hands off this one. And you know what he did? And even though we looked at it, Cain was filled with himself. What, he's, what he did, though, was he was honest to say, this is, I, I, I don't have the strength to bear this. I have to openly admit, this is too big for me. And that's a really good place to start. Now, I don't know where you're at with the Lord today. But it starts with a humility, to be honest. Pride's the one thing that will keep you from God. And to be honest, pride will be, if you think about it, becomes the antithesis of faith. I mean, the birth of faith is, is, is in this primordial humanness of us going, I, I can't do this on my own. And, and in this, I recognize, wow, God, I really can't do this. I, 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 I don't want to be dedicated to destruction. And I recognize in my own human self, that would be very much me. Very, my, my, my wake behind me before Christ is just riddled with, with really, really shameful, horrible destruction. And, and I, I want that. I, I, I'm going to call it, could you, could you mark me so I, I don't receive the vengeance I rightly deserve? He goes, well, you need to recognize there's a murder involved in this. What murder is that? The murder of an innocent person that, will accept, that had an acceptable sacrifice. Well, that's Jesus. God in his own son chooses to have his own son completely tempted in every way, yet completely without sin, so they could be a perfect sacrifice. Stands before the Father, takes my sins and yours upon himself, and dies on the cross there, so that it all could be paid. And rose again to offer me a brand new life. And Jesus says, now that I'm resurrected, would you like to have a relationship with me? I'm pursuing you. I offer you grace. I offer you mercy. And in that, what you need now is surrender. Would you be willing to take that gift? In faith, trust me, I'm going to give it to you. That's the idea. Because whether you know it, sooner or later, vengeance is going to be poured out. I mean, that's six through nine. It's vengeance. The flood is not a happy sight. It's a, it is vengeance on a sin-rejecting world. Now, if Adam and Eve, just for what it's worth, if Adam and Eve had two children every 50 years, and those two children, it sounds weird now because today that's a really bad thing back then as the family grows. And then each of those children had two children every 50 years. And then from that point on, from, let's say it's from Adam and their grandson, that every decade, let me say it this way, that each just couple had five children before they died. If you do the math on that, by the time you actually get to the birth of Noah, that the world will have the population greater than we do today. That's a crazy thought. There would be over 7 billion people on the planet. And I look at all of this. And again, God says, they all had children beyond this, but this is what I'm focusing on. And what's amazing is, is that the Lord's looking. He's going, look at, there's an awful lot going on, but right now, boom, I'm focusing on you. That's what I want. I want you right now, just you. Hey, look at, so God marked your dad and, and saved, you out, saved him out of the destruction he rightly deserved, but you need the mark too. This isn't a family line. Because God's not into group reservations. He's into individual relationship and he wants you. As we go to prayer, have you accepted that gift? Have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? If you have, let me ask you this. Are you willing to look at this world around you that is desperate for salvation but doesn't even know it? And be a preacher of righteousness. God, open me up to just be there and ready. Because if, if we just ask God to do one thing today, if you've said yes to Jesus, I'm going to ask for one simple thing so that we don't get overwhelmed with all of that. And the thing is, God, would you make people the most important thing on this planet to me? What do you think would happen if that exactly, if God responded? Now, we, we know this if we pray according to his will. Nothing weird, but if we pray according to his will, we know we have it. Let me ask you, do you think it's God's will that people would be the most important thing in your life on the planet? God would be the most important thing at all. So do you think God will respond if you ask him that? And if so, how do you think that's going to change you or me? Part of the cool thing about this is, is as we grow in Christ together, we all grow in Christ together. My prayer is you stick around and the Lord tarries. Years from now, we'll all be able to say, wow, we've all grown so much. Not that I'm hanging on some mountaintop and pulling you up. We're all growing because we're all, what I want to demonstrate to you is hot pursuit of God. I want you to run with me. Would you pray with me? 
Lord, thank you so much for the gift of this time, for what you've done in this text, for the way you've developed it, for the way that you've shown us things. Lord, in the simplest sense, Lord, you've shown us that people are the important thing. In a more advanced, perhaps, sense, Lord, we've looked at some language and we've seen some really cool things in the names. But Lord, in all of this, the simplest part about all of this is there's a bunch of people who don't or aren't interested in your governance and they're really doing things that seem to be impacting the world. But it's all temporary. And even if they've made a name for themselves, it isn't like anyone today gives, you know, gives Yabal credit for music. And yet, God, we could get caught in that trap and we, we want to confess to you that, that is, that's, that's an Achilles heel for some of us, that we really are susceptible and even have an affinity for being caught in the trap of the world and if we could just get the bling bling and the shiny wheels and the name and the, the whatever and our name with a plaque on a desk or, a, or whatever, a house with our name on a mailbox. That somehow will be important. And yet you showed us how important we were by, by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross so that we could be yours. And I, I think, how could I become any more important than that? So I ask your forgiveness for any time that I have somehow diverted my eyes upon something sad and temporary when you so desperately desire for me to have an intimate relationship with you where I could be completely engulfed in your love and in your rest. Because your death brings rest so Lord I, for all of my fruitless searching and all of my endless wandering outside of you I hand it back over and say Lord put me in a place of great fruitfulness not fruitlessness and futility in a place Lord where my feet are upon a rock and you make my footsteps firm not a place of wandering and Lord for the things that really in the sight of eternity are really much smaller than I've made them let me see them in proper proportion, Lord. I pray that if there be anyone here who has not yet said yes to Jesus, your gift, and your Holy Spirit is made clear, and even if today you're not even sure, you can walk out of here sure, I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And if this is a prayer that resonates and you agree with it, I'm asking for you, instead of just repeating after me where you might not even listen to what you're saying, I ask you to listen carefully. And as you listen... If you agree, I ask you to say a very resounding and confident amen at the end. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God, I am a sinner. I'm guilty. I know that. I'm not perfect. But you've not demanded for me to be perfect. You've demanded for my sacrifice to be perfect. And I trust that you've paid the perfect price by sending your only begotten son, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross to pay for all of my sins and to be that perfect sacrifice and that he died for me and that he rose again just like you intended just like you promised in scripture so that all of who I was could die with him all of my guilt all of my shame all of my filth die with him and that I could be raised in the newness of life to be a new creation one no longer trapped by the prisons and manacles of the things of this world but one free to celebrate one free to serve. So make me such a person then. Adopt me as your own father. Let me call you father with great joy and unreluctance. And Jesus, I surrender to your love and your lordship now. Have me, I pray. I am yours. Jesus, in your name. And if you agree with that, I ask you to say, Amen. And Lord, I pray for every saint in here, myself included. Lord, we pray a dangerous prayer. We pray, Lord, that you would put our priorities where they should be. That what would be done in our heart would be done as if it were in heaven. Lord, that, that your will would be done. And so, Lord, I pray that first and foremost, as you revamp our priorities, that the first and most fundamental priority would be you. To seek first you, to seek first your kingdom, to seek first your righteousness. Allowing you to add the other things that seem so important. But then in that, Lord, <clears throat> as you've told us that the second greatest command is to love our neighbors or so, I pray now, Lord, that you would make the second most important priority in our lives, people. Not to please them, but to bless them. To give them the thing they need the most, to give them you. You know that the fear that comes in this room. You know the, the failure, the frailty 
of us, but your Holy Spirit's greater. Your presence overcomes. So Lord, we pray, do what you have to do to make our priorities right. We pray you do it as gently as possible. But nonetheless, we give you permission to put our priorities where they belong. So Lord, we ask for you to step in now and make us the kind of people that you delight in, in our behavior, in our priorities. And in that, that we would delight in your delight as we walk with you. Thank you, Lord, that we get to be in the lineage of those who love you. We call upon your name, that your name be exalted, not ours. That your name be magnified, not ours. And we are yours. Do that which brings you great pleasure and glory now, we pray in Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.